0: Welcome to the Honest EP Podcast. We're the podcast for health professionals and the wider community looking to explore diverse ideas in health, ask some hard questions and have some honest conversations. My name is Archie, I'm an exercise physiologist based on Sydney's Northern Beaches and joining me as always is... Reba. <laughs> I'm Andrew. Hi, Andrew. I'm part of this podcast. <laughs> Andrew is part of this podcast who <laughs> is an allied health business owner. Um and he's also the grandfather of EP, which is great. <laughs> <laughs>
1: <laughs> um, we also
0: have another guest today joining us. His name is Jasper. Jasper Lee. Uh Jasper is also an exociologist who works with us here. Um, and he is our guest, and he's joined us, and he's gonna do a live reveal of his beer right now.
1: Yes, I've hidden the beers because I want all the reactions.
0: Here we go, so he's, he's moved his puffer jacket, and here they come, Three, two, one. Cloud, Cloud 9, nine.
1: from wow. Akasha.
0: We've had Akasha before. We have I'm had sure Akasha you've had it before. before. We have not had this though.
1: Wow. Alright, this stood out to me though. What do we feel about the cans? can looks amazing. First the appearance. Can, the can does look amazing. Mm-hmm. So we've
2: got
0: like some different tones of blue. Uh, going around with them, some cloudy text, kind of like a sky. Yep, yeah. <laughs> kind of like a sky. Blues
1: and purples some clouds.
0: Six point two percent alcohol.
2: It is one point eight standard. One point eight standard drink. Well done. You're trying to kill us. <laughs> okay. <laughs> <laughs> uh, wonderful. All
0: right, crack away. Crack away. Oh. Alright, some initial impressions. Cheers. Look at connoisseurs smelling Mm. your beer before you drink it. Mm. Um, That's what I needed. That's what you needed on a Friday. There you go. Well,
1: Jas, while we drink this, um, why don't you tell us a bit about yourself, mate? What's your story? (coughs) Sure thing. So, I am six months into working as an exercise physiologist. Yay! Woo! And six months at Rebound, so it is my first um, first job at an exercise physiologist after being on placement here in September last year. Um, so far it's been kind of a wild ride when I look back, but otherwise loving every second of it. Um, there's certainly been some challenges along the way. Definitely noticing that there's a lot of differences. Um, not really what I expected um, as well, which we'll definitely delve into, mm. but what can I say? Just loving every moment of it.
0: Just loving every moment of it.
1: Yeah. There you go. Mm. Um, but that's, that's
0: why we did want you to come on today, because we think it is a useful topic to hear about uh, from someone who is, in that kind of first six months of transitioning from uni to working in private practice, uh, and some lessons learned for students who are about to go into workforce, for other young practitioners who have started working uh, in the workforce, and also probably some people who are hiring people like yourself as well to learn what worked and what didn't work for you, uh, and then see what can change for the better in the future. Definitely. So we've got a couple topics here we want to Mm. cover today. Uh, They include things like difference between uni EP and real life EP, Challenges as a new practitioner slash hardships. Um, Imposter syndrome. Do you feel like a glorified PT? (laughs) So let's let's jump into it. Mm. Where do you want to start, mate?
1: Let's go from the top. top. Great. So the difference between uni EP and real life EP for you? (sighs) There's a lot, isn't there? There's only so much uni can cover. I feel like at my university, the University of Sydney, there was... Um, you learn a certain set of skills, which is very much evidence-based and that was the big emphasis throughout the course of the degree and it's really good. I think that's what, you know, learning that evidence really made me love what I do today to think that something as simple as running around and pushing some weight, something that I and we really enjoy mm. can make huge huge differences to people's lives is amazing to go into practice and to notice that Actually in practice, it's not maybe not the best thing Um, it, it doesn't really work That well for for some people that was the, a big wake-up call to me because you're sort of molded in that way to sort of stick by the evidence and go that way um, cause it's apparently the, the most effective and the only effective way of doing things. And um, so you're coming from that background and then you go into practice where you get a whole lot more freedom, you know, think to, you're both taking a sip, synchronized, <laughs> putting me off. <laughs> That's what we do, we drink. <laughs> and that was a big wake up call. I think that was the first thing I noticed when I came here as well. Um, but I knew there was a better way of, of doing that sort of thing too. That there was more, to, you know, more ways in practicing than just the one. And, that that has also given me lots of problems too. Right, um, having that freedom, um, if I you know want to do. Just high intensity resistance training with a lot of people because I think that's what they're coming in for. That has made me definitely go a bit tunnel visioned as well in the last few months, uh, which I picked up on. And that sort of thing to happen in six months is kind of expected to. You can get comfortable with a certain set of skills. But I think being in private practice, being surrounded by such a good team, allows you to bounce off each other, you know, get ideas and not get stuck in that, in that mindset. So coming from uni, that's probably been the biggest difference in learning. A lot to break down there. Mm. You mentioned a lot of things. I think the first
0: thing uh, that you said that I noticed was um, coming from uni where there's kind of one perspective and one way to do things because that's uh, what our research shows. Uh, And it often comes because the people who teach you stuff at uni are the ones doing the research and uh, they've for it to work in research you kind of have to do it one way it's like okay this these people have to come in three times a week and work at this exact percentage of their one rm because that's how we're going to be able to record it uh which is the correct way to do it right and it would be amazing if that worked in real life real time yeah Uh, it doesn't always but it's not to say it's not the 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 right way to do it, right? It's just in terms of when you translate that from a research setting to real life, where people have life context, uh, that they can't, you know, come in and do exactly what you want three times a week on this specific piece of equipment,
1: doesn't quite work that way. Exactly. And again, that was sort of a shock when I came here because I was so, you know, they taught you this one way, it had to be done that way. Um, so then when you go out into practice and you see all these eps doing you know lunges and deadlifts and cleans and presses it's yeah, it's a it's a world that's not even touched on in uni really um but i think that's where that's where you can go and do the learning yourself right mm. you can go and train and go to the gym yourself mm. so many more ways to learn than just what's taught at uni
0: so do you think that for from your uni degree, it was really important that you did have your own background in gym,
1: other forms of exercise outside of what you learned at uni? I, I think so. Yep. I think the general trend is if you exercise regularly yourself and you have a good understanding of what going to failure feels like, pushing yourself to max feels like, then you can sort of, give the intensity and relate better to yourself um, and prescribe better that way. I think if you, if you don't have an idea of what going to failure feels like or, um, what a certain exercise is meant to feel like, then it's often harder to give that to someone else when, you know, you don't even know what you're. It's, it's like if you were to teach someone how to cast a fishing line out and you got mm. no clue as well. Yeah. It looks really easy. but You've <laughs> only seen videos or graphics yeah. of it, right? exactly. Mm.
0: exactly. I, I would go mm. further to even say that it is impossible or like incredibly difficult yeah. to do a good job yeah. at teaching people how to do things that you haven't done yourself. Definitely. Yeah. Incredibly difficult um, and I would highly recommend that if you were trying to get into any allied health profession
1: <clears throat> that you would have your own experience of doing what you are prescribing yeah and, and and that's not to say that students need to go into an S&C course right it's nope. get in the gym yeah use the equipment that's at uni hmm. use it and and get a feeling of what going to failure hmm. feels like try a new movement hmm. and see how hard it is to actually learn little things like that can play a very big difference and don't assume that
2: the knowledge that you gain from uni is then enough for you to practice with? Yeah. Well, I think that's a great point because there's, there's theoretical knowledge and then there's interpersonal and um, individual knowledge. So about mm. understanding how to motivate different types of people and how to interact with different types of people when they're in the gym. Because if you stand there with a clipboard mm. and you're, you're just prescribing, in inverted commas, a set of exercise, that the other person on the receiving end of that is gonna be falling asleep. And learning how to do that. And so when you're going to the gym or getting exposure yourself, you're not just trying to go to failure and understanding what that feels like, but you're learning from the coaches about the way that they motivate and the way that they present themselves. And I think that's definitely one of the things that I've learned is like the presence that a really good coach or a really good trainer has in the gym and the way that they just sort of have people gravitate Mm. around them and listen to them versus other people who are more passive and just uh the the clients or the directions that they give people start doing all sorts of funky stuff because Mm. they're not clear Mm. in what they're saying i think to, to your point there's a huge amount of benefit from going and getting exposure to all different types of mm. training. Mm. And I think people can confuse passiveness and
0: uh, quietness as well because you can you don't have to be loud to be in control of a class or a session that sort of thing. If you have earned the respect and you have the presence um, and people respect that of you then you don't need to be loud because when you talk they'll listen. Mm. But if you don't have that presence and that trust from people and you're quiet, then, pff. but also if you're loud and you're just shouting random things, that's also not useful. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so don't think that like, um, learning good coaching is just being louder. That's part of it. You need a little bit of volume, uh, but it's not the, the answer to the question. I think a bit of learning there. Mm. Mm. Wow. That got little sidetrack. I think that's very, very useful information. That like, mm. And I'll add one more point onto that is for, for people who are at uni and are new practitioners, if you think about the unis that are pumping out students in your profession, pumping them out in cohorts of, you know, 50, 100, 200, there's a bell curve of, you know, the, the, the level of clinician and how good that person is going to be coming out of uni, right? And if you have literally just taken the knowledge from uni and nothing else, what separates you from the other 50 to 100 people who are coming out with the same qualification? Mm. What's gonna separate you in getting a job, in helping the people that come and see you compared to the person who has gone and seen and and been a client and learned from other people and done extra learning outside of uni? Mm. Those are the people who uh, succeed those people we see as students who succeed a lot better, and then people who succeed a lot earlier as
1: clinicians when they mm. come in, I would say as well. Absolutely. And, and you guys have talked about that in a previous episode as well, right? mm. It, mm. it doesn't need to look like a three hundred dollars course that's done over two days. No. Mm. There's so much on Instagram now, mm. right? Um, we know that some courses, you know, not even necessarily, you know, if you pay for them, not necessarily the best quality either. Mm. And there's so much chat on Instagram now anyway. Do you want to expand on that courses Hmm. point? Because you learned something recently that we talked about. I did, Mm. yeah. So I have a particular interest in exercise oncology and was trying to find a course recently to just get some better understanding of other cancers other than your breast and your prostate cancer and your more common ones. So on the ESSA website, bang, blood cancers. And looks really interesting. You hear blood cancer and you think, wow, this could be quite cool. Um, and I wonder what exercise has um, to do with this sort of condition. You sort of delve into it. Sounds really cool. Priced at $315, $20, I think for a one day course delivered online. So you start to think, okay, wow, like if it's 300, 300 bucks, it must be pretty good. Mm-hmm. Um, then you go and do the digging, well Archie does the digging <laughs> and you know we find out that it's delivered just by independent exercise physiologists working out of um, maybe their own business I think mm. it might have been mm. um, I'm sure it wasn't short of any learning I'm sure it would, would have learned something but um, I guess it sort of highlighted that a lot of courses can get ESSA approved is that what it
0: is yeah certified there's also that mm. the, the person who was running it wasn't a uh, oncology specialist mm. either. They also on their website had courses for every musk condition, every metabolic condition, every cancer as well. And then once you do that and you go, hold oh, up, I'm paying three over $300, do a one-day course from someone who just sees a bit of everything. Um, am I learning from a, an expert or a specialist who's gone and done... A lot of research into this area, mm. uh, or is it just uh, from knowledge that I could have looked up myself? Then? Yeah, yeah. And so, I guess the learning from that for for new practitioners is that not every course that's uh, emailed to you and advertised to you through social media or through your governing body is necessarily worth the money that's there, uh, and you need to go and do your due diligence and look into it. Before you go, yeah, great. Awesome. Mm. I will spend my money on that. I will spend my CBD budget on that. Because uh, there's a million courses out there. Yeah. A lot. There
2: are a million courses out there. And, and I think it's also great to look outside of what is like ESSA accredited. Definitely. I think um, a lot of people, particularly new grads early on, they see that as the only, like, if it's not on the ESSA website, I can't do it. Mm. Um, particularly, I, and I'll use my own sort of example here, when I got to like... 18 to 24 months out and i started to go like what's what else is out there and started Mm. looking at the apa and Mm. other areas and go like wow like there's some really amazing stuff out here that through through the blinkers of just looking at essa you you don't you don't get that exposure to Mm. Mm. um so for the new grads like search around because there's some phenomenal stuff out there Mm. That could be done by physios. Absolutely, we're not the or only chiros, ones. Or chiros. Yeah. or any, you yeah. know, we're not the only ones to use exercise
0: for for prescription mm. at all. Um, definitely, definitely, and you also don't need to necessarily pay for education either, because yeah. there's so many people just putting out educational resources there. So I guess one thing as well to do is ask people you know um, about any courses that they found interesting or any educational sources that they found interesting on an area um before going and paying for it Mm. because maybe save some money and also learn some good stuff Mm. it could be good let's move on let's uh let's move on to challenges and hardships uh as a new practitioner your challenges, challenges, Jasper, and my challenges. You're, well, we're, we're learning about you, mate. So, what what have been
1: some of the main challenges and hardships you've faced in your first six months? Yeah, I mean, this ties well into imposter syndrome as well. Mm-hmm. I think I've never felt so out of my depth before. Um, had had two jobs prior to working as an EP, um, and never felt so out of my depth. Despite uh, studying four years prior to and having even been here for five weeks, Mm. um, there was just this inherent feeling of, I don't know what I'm doing. Um, Am I doing this right? Are people looking at me differently? And I'm not the type to get self-conscious, but wow, it was first at least few months. It was just, I, I need to learn a lot. Um, And there is a lot to learn, right? There's a lot of admin reports that you need to learn. There's, you know, people around you that have been in the industry for years and their knowledge compared to yours is just a completely different, on an exponential level. It's, so there's that kind of pressure as well that sits around you and there's, I need to catch up sort of feeling. But everyone I talked to in the clinic just sort of said, it's just a bit of time. You've got to settle down a bit first and then you'll feel like you're you're in it. Everyone feels it. But that was probably the one biggest thing on my mind during my first couple of months. Which is interesting because I don't Mm. think you ever showed it. Yeah, I mean, that's probably a part of it though, right? Mm. Yeah, it's you're acting to, you know... And you're sort of lying to yourself saying that, oh, I've got this, i got this, I've got this. <laughs> Whereas, yeah, look, I wasn't, you know, staying up at night thinking about this sort of thing, but um, there was, because I knew there was so much to learn, I think that was kind of daunting um, and didn't really expect for that much as well, mm. which I think, yeah, it does tie back to the, the stuff about what you get to, don't get taught at uni and it's, mm. Things like admin, right? You, you wouldn't even think that the admin is a part of the work. Yeah. Um, whereas you do the practice and you realize that, like, how can it not be? You're like, yeah. <laughs> Of course it's there. Of course it's there. Yeah. Um, but I think as I've sort of come to learn bit by bit, it's become a lot easier to digest. And the learning never stops as well, right? I think we can all say in this room that. The learning never stopped, especially in health, when it's a field that's constantly turning over, new research is coming out. So imposter syndrome was (laughs) definitely one of those hardships to overcome.
0: I think it was you that said to me early on that you felt very, very different doing the same thing as you were doing when you were a student, when you went from your white university polo to your black rebound polo. And even just putting on a different shirt and then seeing the same clients, you're like,
1: Ooh, I, now, like, I remember that. Yeah. yeah. Do you remember what I said though? I remember the next part of this. No, go. Hit me. I, I talked about money. Like people are paying mm. for my services now, whereas mm-hmm. before didn't really have responsibility. Mm. You know, if. If there was an accident to happen, then I was sort of forgiven because I was wearing a white (laughs) shirt. But but yeah, now I remember that and because I was wearing a black shirt and had our company logo there, it was, wow, like I, people are paying for my services now, I feel like there's a bit of pressure to perform well, do good, Um, which were my intentions anyway, but certainly a lot
2: more pressure there. Is there, I'm going to try and phrase this the right way. Mm. Would it have mattered how much money people were paying? Like whether it was 50 bucks for a session or 100 or 150 or is it just the idea that people were paying? It, it's the idea. It's the
1: idea. It's... I don't think any amount would have mattered. Mm-hmm. The fact that I was doing it as a student and really loving it, right? Loving it and I loved going after placement and... Being able to do, I didn't really care that I was working for free. That, that didn't even cross my mind. But yeah, the fact that now something I was already enjoying has now become paid work was an interesting feeling. Yeah, so I don't think whatever the amount was would have mattered mm. at all. It would,
0: Which is interesting it is. because a lot of people have a placement at student clinics where there is uh, an out-of-pocket fee from the clients coming in. But it's a very, very small amount. So they may pay twenty bucks for an initial and then ten bucks for follow up sessions. So you know, you know, a, a a tenth of the price kind of thing, maybe, uh, for what for what they're doing. And in doing those as a student, you still didn't really feel like people were paying you because you're like, ah, it's it's nothing. You yeah. know? that this is basically just to, to get entry and you know, they're, they're getting good service or a good enough service, they're only paying 10 bucks. So, you know, the expectations are pretty low. Mm.
1: Uh,
0: so I feel like they almost try and set you up for that mindset a little bit, but I don't think it really helps that much. Mm-hmm. Cause you never, when people are coming in and paying 10 bucks a session at a uni clinic, you're never really having to have that conversation with the person about, hey, you know, it's gonna cost this much to, to come and see me again. Because you don't even think that it's
1: a problem, right? Definitely. No, not at all. Mm. That that also ties in nicely to me having to balance, I guess, you know, doing, doing that work initially and having so much that pressure, having that pressure and then And then now I'm going to think about a work-life balance, which I didn't really have to think about before because at uni you get so much free time. Yeah. So much free time. Mm. You know, every second week. Hey, everyone. No lecture this week. (laughs) 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 And, And then you're off to the beach, right? Oh, yeah. And then you're off to the beach. I think that lifestyle really... I did really love it at the time. So much freedom to study all day, if it's an off day, or if it's a day like today, you go down to the beach and you spend the day there. Um, I do remember my first couple of months. It was kind of hard to find that work-life balance that everyone was raving about at Um, (laughs) (laughs) Uh, (laughs) (laughs) It, It It was honestly something that I didn't think was needed, and again, because I had so much free time in the past, and is it that important? I, I didn't really see it. And then started to notice how much having that structured structured time, you know, the, the 40 hours blocked out in your week, um, really does make a difference. Mm. And especially for me when I do like so much exercise, you know, mm. across many different sports, it, it was hard to initially find the time that, mm. You know, once I sort of settled into this role and then found the gaps where I could train, mm. it became a lot easier that way. And that's when I did realize that, okay, yeah, these guys, they, they know what they're talking about. <laughs> it is needed and it mm. is key to as uh, uh, self-care. It, it really is important in this role when you're working in health and you have to be there as well, right? At my other job, it's, if you, want to, like, if you want to knock off early because you've got something else on, you can, but because of a face-to-face, you know, you have that commitment to a client or a group. Mm. It's not that flexible. And that's the reality of health, I think. Mm. Um, hence the importance of that balance, mm. blocking off times yeah. and me time as well. I think uh,
0: what I noticed when I was transitioning to full-time work, coming from uni when Uh, There was a lot more free time, although all of that free time to me felt guilty uh, because I was doing things that wasn't study. (laughs) A lot of the time when I knew I definitely had peers who were studying in that free time, I was like, no, I'm gonna use this as free time. But I always felt like there was a cloud over me going, oh, you should be working, you should be doing something. And then I started working full-time And initially for me, I found that it was really, really, really nice being able to finish work, go home, and know that I didn't have to study anything. Know that there was no one going, well, you should be preparing for this assessment coming up, or you should start this assignment. I I loved that initially. Then that changed, and I found that my willy-nilly schedule that I had during uni where. On a Wednesday night, I'm going to stay up till one because I can. And then the next night, I'll, you know, get up at 10 or like, you know, get up the next morning at 10 and then the next morning I'll shuffle around and then I'll change my bedtime to this time, change my bedtime to this time. And having changes in my schedule throughout the week that were all over the place and unpredictable became a problem. (laughs) Um, And I realized that I needed more routine. And more so because I was noticing my energy throughout the week, depending on the day and depending on what I'd done the day before, uh, changed a lot if I didn't stick to a regular routine. I know Andrew, you're big on your routine throughout the week now. Do you want to let us know like
2: how, how routined you are? Yeah, sure. So I am the I am the director here. I do business mentoring two days a week. I've got two kids, I do volunteer work, um, so my time is very, very important to me because I know that if I don't get it, I will not function very well, mm. so um, I wake up and my kids wake up at sort of quarter to five in the morning, I will meditate, I will then go to the gym, I'll be home, take them to school and then come to work and start generally about. 7 uh, seven thirty-eight, And that sets me up for the rest of the day. Um, I have a very concisely time blocked diary so I know exactly what I need to be doing at any given time and that allows me to balance my week and balance my energy appropriately mm. throughout the week. And mm. um, but similarly and, and speaking to like overwhelm and, and stress starting jobs like i think practically there's a few things that people can do to make sure that uh, they they're managing themselves really well and um, one of my mentors taught me jack o'brien taught me to always have two holidays planned that way when you well when you are working that you have something to look forward to but then when you come back from that holiday, you have the next one planned. And as simple as that sounds, it makes a huge difference in the, the practical side of things. So always two holidays planned. Always um, you've got your time, your, um, your sort of personal time, which for me includes uh, mindfulness. Mm. Um, I got onto that few years ago and it's been it took a few goes Mm. to get into it but now it is just one of the things that I do same as going to the gym it's like it's just something I do Mm. um I am a bit of a goal person I like having something particularly from an exercise perspective that I am training for that helps keep me focused otherwise it tends to sway (laughs) a little bit Um, but, but mindfulness for me has been kind of game changing with making sure that I'm focused Mm. during the day. Mm. I I notice when I don't do that. Um, so holidays, you time, and uh, a bit of mindfulness.
0: Yeah. And mindfulness can look like many, many different things for different people as well. Mm. Uh, For some people it's reading a book, some people it's going for a walk, some people it's going for a surf. Uh, what's mindfulness for you Jasper? Like, Cause you're not the kind of person who will sit still uh, and the, on the couch and do nothing for their mindfulness. What does your you time and mindfulness look like?
1: It, it really is exercise, isn't it? I think as biased as it sounds, it's for me, the one that does it all, it's my me time. It is my mindfulness. I find that I'm usually most at peace, um, when I'm torturing myself. <laughs> <laughs> Good. When I'm lying flat on that bench yeah. and I've got, you know, seventy, seventy-five kilos on me. Hundred and seventy five. Hundred and seventy five mm, is what yeah. I meant. Yeah. All I'm thinking about in that moment is get this bloody thing <laughs> off my chest. <laughs> Nothing else but just surviving in that moment. You can't think about anything else, yeah. You can't. Can't. Mm. It's the same thing with running. It's Running's a bit different, you can think a lot more, Mm. but I find that, you know, when I am at that high intensity, just trying to survive again, just one step, one step, one step, I find that just puts me into tunnel vision, the blinkers on, and in that moment, I'm flying. (laughs) Wow, Mm. that's interesting, (laughs) because I know you Mm. don't even run with music. No,
0: you run no. cold turkey. Wow. Cold turkey. Yeah. Wow. yeah. Bare ears. <laughs> Bare ears. yeah.
1: It, it always has been that way? Mm. Um, running as a kid, I never listened to music. Um, and then even when I got a phone, more so just holding the thing. Yeah. yeah. That's my a good point. Yeah, my Garmin now doesn't even connect music. So that's a barrier too, but mm. no music at all. And, and and that for me I think is good. Again, yeah. once again, I get to just tune out. Mm. You know, only have that sort of visual and, mm. you know, the the auditory stimuli, but nothing else. Mm. And that for me does it during mm. the week, a few times a week. Yeah, it's very interesting. I think for
0: me, my me time slash mindfulness as uh, uh, <laughs> an all-in extrovert is either playing PlayStation with friends or or going out and playing sport, uh, or having beers with friends. Um, that's that's my mindfulness. Yeah, um, yeah which I, I love that.
1: Is there a difference between me time and mindfulness then for you? Ooh. See,
0: I don't think there is for me. I think they fall one and the same. That for my uh, mental health, I need socializing, uh, and for my me time, I like to talk to people and hang out and do things. So I think for me, I mean I'm very not clear on the actual definitions of the two things, but for me they kind of work together that way. So outside of my outside of work, my routine that, that keeps me week to week, keeps my energy going, is filled with uh, after work sport, a couple nights a week, gym sessions. Uh, a bit of social tennis on the weekend with mates and then a couple nights where we play PlayStation together. And that's... They're not scheduled in so much, those social things. But if I have a weekend where I don't do anything, I I almost don't feel fulfilled by Sunday night uh, or Monday before I go back to work. Which is interesting because some people love that feeling of ah, oh, uh, how's your weekend it's like oh, i did nothing it yes. was great yeah. whereas if i do nothing on a weekend i feel like i haven't achieved anything and i don't like it wow i feel like i've wasted days so i think the lesson there is you t- me time and, and mindfulness can be whatever the fuck you want it to be uh but it has to suit you yeah. right mm, it has yeah. to be the thing that fills your cup mm. right and, and that's that thing right if you're Uh, Simon Sinek talks about introverts and extroverts as uh, extroverts fill their cup by being with other people whereas introverts uh, empty their cup by being with other people so it doesn't mean that they can't hang out with people and have a good time but they then need to fill their cup with some me time some alone time kind of Mm -hmm. thing Mm -hmm. I'm sure that resonates with you it,
2: it does as a as a all in introvert. Uh, I uh, so great book stolen focus Johan Hari. Oh, Read that, that book place. if you should. Uh, I think leading such a busy life, it's it's difficult. It's on Audible. Uh, <laughs> one of the things that helped me in in having such a busy life is in that book he speaks to just letting your mind wander, hmm. giving yourself the the space to not be stimulated by anything mm. right so for example in the car when I'm driving to work no music on mm. like just quiet and with my thoughts mm. and if I've got uh, generally like when I'm presenting I will go for a walk and just like no music no no stimulus just be in my thoughts mm. for that time and so that's still mindfulness right like mm. that's still Feeling what I'm feeling, acknowledging what I'm feeling, and doing that as a routine to help ground mm. myself. Um, Johan Hari, Stolen Focus, great book. Uh, because you're right, it's it's different mm. for each person, uh, but it doesn't need to be a I'm going to sit down and like do the whole yogi thing. Yeah, that it can be just like little bite sized chunks throughout the day.
0: Hmm. Mm. Absolutely.
2: So I guess overall lesson from
0: that is it is important to have some kind of routine and include those three things uh, within your weekly schedule, which was me time, mindfulness, and oh, yeah. having a holiday. Having a holiday, <laughs> two Making holidays sure planned. sure that you've got holidays <laughs> yeah, planned. Yeah, yeah, two holidays planned. Yeah. Good All time. right. Justin, do you have any other uh, hardships that you would like to talk about? Uh, that you've faced in your first six months?
1: Yeah, I declined to have a fall. Yeah. <laughs> in class. Mm. Wow. <laughs> That's full. That's a hard one. That's right? a hard shit. Full face plant. Yeah. It was, it was in a group class um, on a Thursday morning. Towards the end of the class, we were just doing some walking soccer to finish off. Walking soccer. Mm. challenge your balance a bit, mm. clearly a bit too much for, for this gentleman. Tripped uh, on the ball, mm. bang, and then straight onto his front. Um, no serious injuries at all. This, this gentleman was also um, deaf, mm. so didn't speak um, and then couldn't hear anything either. So that just added to the, the complexity of, of the actual incident. So what was it like for you? Like what was oh. the, the challenge like for you there? Oh, <laughs> it was certainly a bit of guilt in the moment. Um, the first thing you think is, oh my gosh, is this person, have they fractured a rib? Have they broken an arm? Have they broken a leg, mm-hmm. a hip? Um, Had this client gone through that, a broken bone or something more serious, I'd feel a bit different about it today in that moment knowing that he was okay i was okay Mm. there's certainly a bit of guilt but then you sort of walk into the back office and everyone's quite supportive it happens it's okay not make a big deal of it as well that's what i noticed i think everyone was quite neutral about it and that plays a big part but as with anyone you're gonna feel a bit guilty and shocked at the time Mm. Um, I look back now and another big learning, right, mm. is yes, things like walking soccer can be good for challenging things like balance. Um, but then it's also knowing the boundaries of particular people. And then more broadly, I would say that a learning from that is
0: that whether it's in your first six months or in your first three years of practicing in health, you are gonna have outcomes that aren't ideal. It's not gonna be all positive outcomes because what you do, even though it works perfectly for one person, for some reason, one time, or a couple more than one time, it's just not gonna go well for another person. You know, a classic example is you have someone come in and they're in some pain and they're, you, you're feeling good and they have a really good session, no pain, no anything, and then you check in on them the next day and they go, I'm, I'm in excruciating pain. You know, what have you done to me? And you go, and it's something that you've done with a hundred other people and it's been totally fine. And then suddenly you go, oh shit, I've, I've, I've ruined this person. I've, I've put them backwards to, to square one, and that kind of thing. I've destroyed their whole rehab journey. And, and it can feel really, really personal because it's very hard not to get attached to the outcomes and your clients and, and their health, right? Because we're we in this health business because, or this health profession because uh, we're people who care and like to help people. That's generally uh, the, the personality types that we are. And so when someone doesn't feel helped and doesn't feel better, it feels horrible. And We take it right into our soul um, and, I would say that the learning there is that not every experience, every experience goes well. Not every client experience goes well. That's normal. doesn't mean you're a bad human. It doesn't mean you're a bad clinician. <laughs> Things go poorly. And the important thing is that you, you do debrief with that client. You try to learn as much as you can from them. You try and salvage the situation as much as possible. Then you debrief with someone in your team as well, or if you don't have anyone in your team, someone else and see if you can reflect on the process, find some learnings and then take those on board and, and use it for the next people. Right? Because every single person has seen a health professional and had a, a l- subpar experience. We, we, I'm sure we all have, I have. Yep. Uh, but you forget about it and you move on and your life continues, uh, <laughs> whereas we as a health professional feel like we've ruined this person's <laughs> life forever and it will sit with us and it'll be our deep dark secret <laughs> forever uh, whereas the person's probably moved on with their life they've found someone else if they have moved on from you and life goes on wow. so I guess is the, the lesson is debrief, mm. learn, reflect and then move on as much as possible I like that a lot I like that. which is hard Mm -hmm. to do Mm -hmm. and Mm -hmm. it's something that you need practice doing which means that you're going to have bad experiences (laughs) more than once if you're going to practice it very true alright yeah even to this day I can still remember specific interactions with clients where I'll I'll go through my head it's like why did I do that that was stupid that was fucking stupid why would I push that person uh, that hard or do this thing with this that person or say this thing to that person. Um, I don't need to hold on to that, but I need to learn from that, mm-hmm. all right? Yep. So I guess the thing is to try and separate yourself from the experience and the clients a little bit. Mm. If you give your heart and soul to mm-hmm. every single person, you're gonna be up at night.
2: You're not gonna be able to live, which affects your work-life balance yep.
0: once again there. Definitely.
2: I think that ties in really well with where kind of we started this conversation, Jasper, around that difference between understanding what they teach us at university, which is very prescriptive, versus in the real world, because mm. like you just reflected there, Archie, like you could do the exact same thing with mm. a very similar person and get mm. two hugely different responses yeah. from that. Yeah. And as as the as a private practice practitioner, we have to uh, deal with that. Mm. somehow Uh, and you're right like you are not a bad practitioner because somebody responded differently to what you thought they were going to respond Mm. the key is to support that person like help them understand that this experience while unexpected is not the end of the world that we will be here to support you when you come back in Mm. Uh, and then as a practitioner realize that different people respond differently and yeah. that's okay mm. uh, but it's great having a support person or network that you can then lean to, mm. to to debrief that somehow get it out of your head yeah and into some sort of word format yeah um, because you don't want to start telling yourself in your head the story that i'm a bad practitioner i can't do this mm. i'm going to keep getting bad outcomes so I need to just be ultra conservative and, and do nothing with it before I can mm. get it out mm, yeah. and yeah. speak to people yeah. about it.
0: Even in the highest quality research, there are outliers. And no uh, no treatment that's been researched uh, has a 100% effectiveness, doesn't exist. I don't know what exactly, uh, how to perfectly calculate clinical significance uh, on effect sizes, but I'm pretty sure you don't need 100% <laughs> <laughs> um, positive outcomes to get it. Yeah. <laughs> That's just yeah. not how research works. We don't understand exactly how the body works with anything. The body is way too confusing for
2: us. Mm. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Let's move on. Jasper, a question for you, mate. Mm. Do you feel like a glorified PT? <laughs> <laughs> it, it,
1: it's something that comes up a lot, I think. <laughs> When, when you <laughs> tell people you're an EP? Um, I don't know, like, what have your guys been experiencing? They normally ask, what is that? They normally <laughs> ask,
0: what's an EP? Yeah, yeah. what's an EP? It's normally the yeah. first thing people ask. Mm. What about you?
2: Yeah. I think I, think I went through, initially, came mm. out and went through the stage <clears throat> of, like, trying to, to stamp my mark. Like, no, I am not a personal trainer. I am so much different. Um, and then kind of got tired arguing with everybody. Mm-hmm. And I was like, kind of embraced it a little bit. Yeah. Like, yeah, I am. I am a glorified PT. I do that. Yeah. Um, and now I don't do that anymore. But I, I, hopefully there is a more wider recognition of what it is that we do. And yeah. Uh, we're, we're able to justify our existence through <laughs> the impact that we can have with more people mm. and, and the, the different types of clients that we work with. So, yeah, I suppose I've been on a journey with mm.
0: that. I guess I don't lie about it either. <coughs> like, people ask me, oh, what do you do? Just, like, PT work? And it's like, "Yeah, well, I do exercise and movement with people, uh, but I can also deal with people with injuries, medical conditions, disabilities. And that's what my training's been in. That's what my experience is in. Mainly people with more complex conditions than general pot.
1: That's it. Mm. I think Andrew, my experience isn't too different to yours. Where a lot of people, when I tell them that you know I have been studying or I'm now working as an exercise physiologist, they go, "Oh, so you was are you specialising in a particular area? Cause, um, like you know, I've I've done PT work all my life, but you know." doing my own research I now see people that have gone through cancer and have a shoulder injuries and that's totally understandable too um and it's a question that we get a lot and it's Kind of easy abuse to get thrown at too. It's easy to get, are oh, you a glorified PT. <laughs> mm-hmm. It's easy to do. But I think physios get the same as well. Oh, well, I just call mm-hmm. them glorified massage <laughs> exactly. <have> therapists. <laughs> no, but I think physios get the same, you know, are oh, you a glorified PT a lot as well. Mm-hmm. Um, and <laughs> massage therapists, yeah, too. And it's, first of all, I've never been a PT. So I don't have anything to compare it to while I'm doing my work, I can sort of see. oh, PTs would do something similar. They do a bit of weights, a bit of cardio, a bit of conditioning. Um, but like you are saying, Archie, that the people that walk in through this door usually have something going on with their bodies, mm. shoulder, back, knee, mm. something with their bloods, their, their blood pressure, their blood sugars. And I think that's the sort of thing that we're constantly thinking about too, subconsciously at least, mm. we're always you know, we're not always going oh how's the shoulder, how's the shoulder, but mm. I think we're always going, okay that person's got that with their shoulder, mm. that person's got something wrong with their their knee mm. and we're constantly trying to tailor it to what they can do mm. and their condition um, plus you've got all the all the multi-disc thing. Right. That's it. Right. Right. We, you know, we get that many referrals from GPS around the area, and to think that we can help with, you know, some major conditions mm. is, to me, again going back to what I said about something as simple as exercise and helping mm. people change their lives. I think is so so special, and I think that's what separates us. Mm. Um, it's something that we can offer more. Mm. On that, I don't think EPs
0: should get a big head about it either. It's like, if you really narrow down what we do, we do exercise and movement with people, which is the same as what a PT does. So don't, like, if you're an EP and you're trying to explain yourself, don't get a big head about, I'm different, I'm better, blah, 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 blah. You're not. It's like, there's PTs out there with way more experience than you have coming oh, yeah. out of uni. Oh, yeah. What have you done? Yeah. So don't, don't assume that you are better and on a higher level than a PT just because you have a degree and you've learned yeah. about disabilities, yeah. that's nothing that no one else, like someone else can't learn about. Correct. You don't need a university degree to, yeah. to know about disabilities and medical conditions. You should really be judging what you do based off your experience. Definitely. So yeah. I wouldn't say that I am any better at seeing you know, someone who's overweight and mm. working on a, on a weight loss program mm. than the, the guys at Vision Personal Training next door. Hmm. If anything, they're probably they're they're definitely better suited than <laughs> I am because they have more experience doing it. It yeah. doesn't matter if I have a university degree, they've had more experience seeing people like yeah. that. Therefore they are more suited to it. Exactly. Mm.
1: Yeah.
0: So I don't think the name of what you do really, you know, <laughs> qualifies you to to be an expert in anything. Yeah. And uh, and that's I think a lesson to any exercise physiologist coming out of uni. Uh, don't assume that you are now the expert in in all medical conditions and disabilities and, and injuries. It was like, you have to go and get that experience and do more learning for yourself before you can say that, right? Because everything we've talked about is that the stuff you learn at uni is not enough to, to, to qualify you as an as a, as a amazing expert in an area. You're, you're just getting told the research. That's it. And shown the way to prescribe Which anyone can do. That's it. And
1: I think that's a huge issue. I don't know if it's in other countries as well, or if it's just Australia where it's EPs versus PTs, EPs versus physios, physio versus EPs. It's the
0: same thing in the US, but it comes to more like Mm. um, the names change. So it's athletic trainer versus uh, physical therapist. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, Or kinesiologist, right? It's a physical therapist, athletic trainer, Athletic trainer is basically uh, an EP, but generally works in an athletic population, yeah. but yeah. they do exercise rehab with people. Yeah. Um, and, and they're physical therapists and then go back and forth. And, you know, how are you different? It's like, what's your experience? You know? yeah. But then there are strength and conditioning coaches who've been working for 20 years and only work with one population yeah. and they're the, they're the experts in that area <laughs> because they've yeah. seen a bunch of it, right? Yeah. doesn't yeah.
1: matter what yeah. university degree you've done. Definitely doesn't matter. Yeah, I, I don't know what it is about health and allied health where there's just so much constant war mm. against other disciplines. And it's it's certainly an issue that is brought up from university. Mm. I think there's always sort of a hierarchy where Absolutely. you know, you need a higher higher mark to go into yeah. physio and I just had one drink and is dropping his phone everywhere. I oh, know, it's unbelievable. Hair's a bit messy. <laughs> oh, I think yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, and that sort of, and that kind of battle just, it, you see it all the way, you know, to clinicians who have been in the industry for over 10 years, 20 years. And I had this chat with a good mate of mine yesterday and it's, we're all just trying to help people at the at the end of the day. Mm. There's different ways of doing it. We know that some ways are better than others, Mm. but at the end of the day, we are just trying to help people and whether it be placebo or not, Mm. it really should just come down to what that person wants. Mm. And if they're finding benefit, then that's- Totally. All you need to say about it.
2: Mm.
1: Um, I mean, we can talk about this for, Years and years, right? And definitely will. We right. we'll, we'll, I feel like ranting more. <laughs> <laughs> it was a good <laughs> rant before. You know? Do you
2: want me <laughs> to keep going? Okay.
0: We we can go for hours. I'll put I'll put one more <laughs> one more point That's on hilarious. this on this little rant. <laughs> from w- one drinkashi. Which is from One Drink <laughs> As any health professional, don't get attached to the modality that your profession is known for. Don't get attached to it. Because you don't want that to identify you as a practitioner. Right? Let your experience and what you are working on and how you are growing as a practitioner identify you as a practitioner. Yeah, We're all general, all of our evidence is generally moving in the same direction. Right? But it's very, very easy for people to go, oh, no, 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 I've always practiced this way and this is what my profession tells me. Uh, is the way I should practice. So that's the way I am going to do it. I was like, why? Why are you getting attached to that? Your, you know, your qualification does not dictate, um, you know, what well, all the time what modalities you can use. Sometimes it does, uh, but it doesn't have to all the time, right? No. So don't get attached to some things. Yeah. Don't get attached to your qualification, your profession, and use that as an excuse to to not. Do what's best for the person in front of you. Yeah,
1: yeah. So I guess for Antova, <laughs> thank you, Archie. Mm. Very heartfelt. Mm. So for the students listening, I think you know, assuming that most of you are EPS, my message would be that would be that you're you're in one of the coolest degrees. You're about mm. to enter one of the fastest growing industries as well, especially in allied health. I mean, it is right. It is the fastest growing, along with OT. Mm. Um, these are, these are research facts stats. <laughs> I think. <laughs> Absolutely. Just Absolutely. say it with
2: conviction and, uh, and yeah, people will yeah. Yeah. show the confidence. Yeah. You, you had <laughs> it here first. You had it yeah. first.
1: Mm. Um, and I'm sure it's going on at your unis at the moment right now. It's, ah, uh, the physios are doing this or some of you are talking about going to physio and, or doing a master's of physio and, <laughs>
2: oh, I've got oh, Archie all right. Right. here I, we go <laughs> we sat up on that one let me, let me <laughs> just let no, me finish no uh, <laughs> that's that's a big rant for another that's for another a big time. one we'll have well, we'll a whole save episode though. just we'll for a rant we'll I'll we'll we'll yeah, record that, that one
0: at home by myself <laughs> <so>. <laughs>
2: we'll have a few more beans. a little, a little <laughs> later
1: tonight after a little later tonight after a couple
2: yeah so
1: so I guess my message to students would be that um Stop, stop the war. Like just, there's no need to go after physios and go after whoever it is or talk about shit practice. Like Mm. just go and, go and do the research yourself, try different things and work it out yourself. Mm. Um, Good way to learn. um, You know, hearing what physios have to say and hearing what other EPs have to say that might not be the most traditional of uh, of practices, but like be open about it and that there's no need to go and, shit on other practices it's a waste of time and yeah. it, it's it's a waste of your, your breath yeah. really
0: let your growth and what you are learning and what you are trying to you know experience and do more of define you yeah. rather than mm. your war yeah. try <laughs> to defend your position what a waste of time mm. and you any takeaways on what we've talked about and then any takeaways on the beer as well the beer's been good and 1.8 mm. percent um it's 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 a good beer. We only needed one
2: today. <laughs>
1: there is one sitting there.
2: No, I don't want to no, she wanna drive. drive. We'll be here fine. Oh, <laughs> I'm driving. <laughs> no, uh, sure. look I, I suppose my, my takeaway is that um, having having been a part of a team that's grown over the last few years, that what Jasper has spoken about is is quite common um in in as you're coming out of Guinea and, and learning your craft, that it's, it's common to not know what you don't know, and then know what you don't know, and then try and calibrate yourself in a way that you can, well, hopefully that the culture that we have here and, and the cultures that you have in, in um, the businesses that you work with, that you can shape the direction that you want to grow into as opposed to just receding back to well this is what i learned at uni so i'm just going to default to what i learned then there's a there's a good saying in practitioner world that you it's better to have one year's experience rather than one year's experience repeated 10 times so be exposed to new ideas, be exposed to different ways of doing things. Don't judge people for doing things differently to the way that you do things because they might have a reason for doing that. But at the same time, get exposure to those things as well because you can start to comprehend. I think this is, this is a challenge that new grads face is that they're presented with evidence-based research and then anything that is outside of that, mm-hmm. they just... No, no, I, I'm not mm. gonna, mm. I'm not gonna do that. How and, can you possibly
0: be strong on a stance after not having any experience seeing other ways of doing it?
2: And and the biggest problem that I have in that area, is around manual therapies, mm. right? Kairos and osteos mm. and and professions like that, where you've got, people, irrespective of profession, people, making judgments on them without mm. being exposed to yeah. what it is like. Mm shut the fuck up, get some real life experience, understand why people are drawn to that and the benefits that they can provide to people, mm-hmm. form a good, like open experience on those things and understand that they have a place yeah. in, in the community and in, in the client's lives. Whether you believe that that is the right thing mm-hmm. That's for you, yeah. but you don't need to go and impart that mm. belief on everybody that you meet because mm. you have got a certificate on the wall that says, I learned a certain thing That's it. at uni. Yeah. So, there's my rant for today. But clients aren't
0: stupid anymore, right? Like, it's not the 80s when you, you see your doctor or your health professional and they're the only one in your area and whatever they tell you to do, you do because you don't have any other options. It's like if someone doesn't like who they see, they, they go to the one two doors down who's got a better Google review and has a better Instagram. So if people are busy and seeing a bunch of people and they have great reviews and their clients love them, they must be doing something right. Because you can't force someone to come back to you these days. It doesn't mm-hmm. work that way. No. So learn from people even if you don't agree with them because they're doing something right. Absolutely. And it might be something that you could you know, that you're not doing as well.
2: Absolutely. So, my my takeaway from yeah. this is, is just broaden your horizon. Same.
0: Wonderful. Yeah. Broaden your beer choice. I didn't think I would like a beer that was six point two percent. I I didn't read it that carefully. Oh, uh, I'll be honest. <laughs> you were drunk when you bought it. No, this is beautiful. <laughs> I like. <laughs> this is a dangerous beer because it, is, it doesn't it? taste. Like no. a 1.8 standard mm. drinks beer. Mm. Mm. Very, very, very dangerous, very delicious. I might buy some more of these for another time.
2: Mm. Cloud 9.
0: Cloud, Cloud 9. Uh, Jasper, thanks for coming to the podcast. Thanks for having me. We'll have you back, mate. Maybe, maybe after you've done 12 months. Show <laughs> <Sure, laughs> the so updates. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, if you have a rant, you can come on as well. Definitely. We'll all have right. all rants. Maybe the next episode will be a rant. Yeah, let's turn
2: around. Oh (laughs) shit, that's dangerous. We'll get another (laughs) 1.8. Sound drink. All right, bye everyone. Bye Bye bye. Bye.